Well, this is a special day. When, uh, when I got word that Elliot Brown wanted me to call him, I thought, oh no. <coughs> What's happened now? <coughs> but uh, as I talked with your pastor over the phone some weeks ago, uh, my heart was just overflowing with joy. What a, what a delight to be able to be here. What a beautiful place. This building is just wonderful. Um, and uh, it's so good to see a number. I, you know, I look around, I see faces, I recognize some, I was able to put names, some of them I, I'm, I'm racking my brain, I know who this is, but I can't remember the name. Um, and then a guy comes up to me and says, you know who I am? And I'm thinking, okay, let's see now, was he part of this church, what, what's going on? He's from when I was a little boy and my dad was pastoring in California, and now he lives out here. It's Paul McAllister. I think, whoa. That was just out of place somehow there. That wasn't supposed to be. <clears throat> but it's good to, good to see Paul. Um, known his family for a long, long time. And that's saying a lot because there was 10 in his family. <laughs> uh, the pastor asked if I would uh, just uh, catch you up a little bit on uh, what's been happening the last... 33 years or so, so I don't want to take a lot of time. I liked, I like this building. There's no clock. <laughs> and, and what Danny said, I thought I'll just follow his example. His, on the schedule, he was five minutes. If I do my, my 30 minutes the way he did his five, we'll do just fine. But uh, when, we, when we left uh, Harnett County in August of 1985, we moved to California, and I taught Bible in a Christian school, high school and junior high, Victory Christian School in Sacramento, for that year. Now, I won't go into all how the Lord directed, and I'd planned to be longer than a year, but the Lord kind of closed the door on that, not because they, they were ready to get rid of me, but uh, just some other circumstances, and uh, ended up... Uh, eventually, uh, the next year, in, in actually in 1987, May of 87, moving to Blackfoot, Idaho. There was a group of about eight people in a little church in Blackfoot, Idaho, a town of about um, 8,000 people. About 80% of the people in the town claim affiliation with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons. And this church needed help. And so Pam and... Uh, the three girls that we had at that time uh, moved to, to Idaho. We were going there for nine months to help out in a mission work until that mission board could get one of their missionaries there. Somewhere we lost track of time. We were there 11 years. And uh, God blessed. It was a wonderful time. We raised our older daughters there in, in Idaho and uh, have nothing but wonderful memories of those times and some dear people there. God moved us on to California, back to the church that my dad pastored when I was born, out in the country, about 25 miles southeast of, of downtown Sacramento, a little farming community in those days, and now it's a wannabe farming community, kind of a bedroom uh, community for, for Sacramento, uh, but it's still very rural, minimum lot size of five acres, and that church called me to be their pastor in 1998, and so we moved from Idaho to California, and for the next 17 years, I pastored at the Wilton Bible Church in, uh, in Wilton, California. 
Coming toward the end of that time, Pam and I both, without speaking to each other, we both had the same sense from the Lord that, that maybe our time was coming to a close at Wilton Bible Church. Maybe the Lord would have someone else that could pick up that ministry and move it, move it on. And um, when we talked to each other, we both had been saving, having the same thought. We prayed about it, and I worked with elders and uh, others on the pastoral staff there. And we put a plan together and took several months to transition uh, out of that ministry. And we moved to uh, South Carolina in the summer uh, three years ago. And uh, we're planning on being in Greenville, South Carolina one year. We had a house in the Raleigh area that we owned and we're planning to come and move there. But somehow that one year stretched into three. We got started in some ministries in, uh, through the church there in, uh, in Greenville. And... Uh, filled in at a, at a little church, needing some help in, in coming Georgia, drove each weekend for several months, and then I uh, was asked to come on and, and help the, with the mission board, Open Door Baptist Mission, uh, to help with their church planters, the U.S.-based church planters that were out under that mission board. So since, uh, for the last uh, two and a half years or so, we've been working into that position filling in for church planters uh, when they need someone, if they need to be away for several weeks, uh, helping them with uh, planning for building projects, just trying to encourage them, whatever they need. We want to be help to them, and that's what we're involved in now, that I can do that from Raleigh as well as I can from, from Greenville. Able to finally make our move to Raleigh. And we're, my wife says it's good to be home, and uh, it is good to be back in this area. We enjoyed the time so much here at Pleasant Union. Uh, it's, it's just great, great memories. I do have a few pictures. I, I want to just let you see. Uh, remember this lady and this little baby? This is when we, Pam didn't know I put this picture in here. She said, you can show some pictures to the girls. Uh, one of the first weeks, in the early weeks, when we were driving from Greenville to Lillington, preaching in the, in the morning here on Sunday, uh, I was, we still lived in Greenville, I was in, in seminary, and uh, one week the church said, we're having an outing at Carowinds, why don't you stop on your way through and go to Carowinds and join us? So we did, and Andrea was just a few weeks old, uh, she was born in January of 1982, and she didn't like Carowinds, it <laughs> looks like, uh, but that was what we looked like, that's why maybe you don't recognize me so much, we, we've changed, but this is a... Uh, this is a, a few years later, the, the first four daughters. This is while we were in Idaho. Andrea on the left and Julie in the back. Andrea is our oldest. Julie was, was born while we were here. And then Laura was the one we were expecting when we left. And then the one in front, the baby, is Jamie. And uh, she was born uh, not too long after we got to Blackfoot, Idaho. Um, we move on. These are the six girls. A fairly recent picture. Uh, and uh, Andrea on the left, then our number five daughter next to her, uh, Kristen. Uh, by the way, Andrea is, uh, is married to John Crocker. They're missionaries in Mexico City with Gospel Fellowship Association. They have five children now. Uh, John is doing an outstanding job pastoring and training Mexican young men to be pastors uh, in, in their church in Mexico City. Kristen is married uh, to a resident doctor in, uh, at Case Western in Cleveland. They have a little baby and they are a little girl and now they're expecting a little boy in the first part of December. The next one is Kendra. She's our youngest. 
And she is teaching Christian school, teaching math in Matthews, North Carolina, near Charlotte. She's not married. Um, next to her is Laura. She's the one that uh, Pam was expecting when we left here. She and her husband have, have three children. They live in Houston, where they are involved in helping a church plant uh, in the Houston, the North Houston area, within the Beltline, near, near downtown Houston. Uh, next to her is, is Julie. Julie is um, our number two daughter. She was born while we were here. She is married to Stephen Plum. They have three children. They live, in, uh, they live near Rock Hill, South Carolina, where they're active in, in a church in Rock Hill. And then on the far right is Jamie, our number four daughter. She is, uh, she is living also in Matthews, North Carolina. Her husband is the youth pastor at uh, Bible Baptist Church in Matthews. And they have a little boy, and uh, they are, we just learned recently, they are now expecting another baby. We don't know yet what that'll be, a boy or a girl. So those are the six daughters that God gave us. This is a picture a couple years ago that we took uh, with everyone that was in the family at that time. We've added to it since then, but uh, this is the, what God, God multiplied us. And we're, we're so thankful for, for what God has done. You know, homecoming is a great time for remembering. Already I've been remembering a lot of things. And as you see friends from the past and share stories, look at old pictures, a flood of memories will often come back. Sometimes you may be surprised by the intensity of the emotions that well up from the memories of things you'd not thought about in many years. Some memories bring great joy, maybe bring a smile or a chuckle, while others might still prick a deep vein of sorrow. I certainly have many wonderful memories of our time at Pleasant Union. Bowie Long will forever be one who added such joy and richness to our lives. I remember her telling how she, as a single woman, she was the organist for many years. I mean, she was like, she was, she was Pleasant Union, <laughs> you know. And uh, she told how, as a single woman, she had observed parents struggling to raise their children, and uh, she thought to herself, I, I could do a better job than they're doing. She, she thought, she, she said, I, I should write a book on raising children. And then she had the wonderful privilege of having her great-nephews come and live with her. <clears throat> and um, it was not long until she told me she would have had to throw that book out the window. <laughs> she didn't have a clue how to handle those boys. I'm sure she did a wonderful job and provided some great spiritual encouragement to those boys. Those are great memories, but you know, not all memories make you smile. There were some sad things as well. I remember receiving word one afternoon that a, a couple in the church had got news that their 10th grade grandson leaving after weight training in the summer at Harnett Central the car he was in came out onto Neal's Creek Road and the driver lost control and it smashed into a pole and he was killed. 
And that hasn't left me. Uh, there's some things we just never forget. And I hope I never forget the time that I had just a few days to spend with Tom Jackson driving around the countryside visiting people. I got to go with him to a funeral of somebody that really had no connection to the church, but they knew Tom Jackson and he was in town and they wanted him to preach this funeral service. And I can just riding with him and talking with him, what a, what a godly giant. I still, I still use the simple outline from the 23rd Psalm that he used at that funeral. I've used it many times at funerals since then. The heart of it was when it says, the Lord is my shepherd, there are many wonderful promises in that psalm, but none of them apply unless you can say, he is my shepherd. That was from Tom Jackson. That stuck with me. Memory is a great thing. Remembering is a powerful human ability, but sometimes forgetting is even stronger. Some of the incidents and lessons we determined we would always remember, somehow over time they get pushed back and covered up until we rarely reflect on them. While there are many things, maybe a lot of things, we would do well to just as, might as well forget, <laughs> there are some lessons, some truths, and events that God wants, even commands us to remember. God made provision for Israel to be reminded regularly of certain truths. And he has commanded his children today as well to remember certain truths. And so I'd like for us to go back, go back to the books of Moses and the prophets, see a few of the things that God wanted his people to remember back then, and then make application to what we should remember today as well. I'm going to have to move along quickly here. This is actually a, a big subject, and there's, so, there's much that I can't even touch on. There's some things I will suggest and not develop, but I want to look at the first two things especially. First of all, God wants his people to remember their deliverance. How, uh, you say, what do you mean by deliverance? Well, let's look at the Old Testament first. <clears throat> In Exodus chapter 13, Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Moses told the people under the inspiration of God, you are to remember this thing. In fact, you are to remember it every year. You are to always remember that you were delivered. And what I want to focus first on here is how you were delivered. And this verse says it was by God's power. It wasn't through their cleverness. It wasn't through manipulating circumstances. It was through the power, the might of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 15, we find at the end of Moses' life, he's reminding the people again and, and telling them to remember something else. He says, remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. 
And remember, the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Remember that God delivered you. Remember how you were delivered from that terrible bondage in Egypt. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 18 and 19, the same thing comes out again. You shall not be afraid of them, as Moses talks about going in and the, the mighty nations and the walled cities in the land. He says, you shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. The great trials which your eyes saw, the signs and the wonders, the mighty hand and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. So shall the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. Moses told them, you remember God's power to give you confidence as you go into this land against these people. It's the same God now. He has the same power the same mighty arm, able to do the same kind of things that delivered you from Egypt, you remember God's power in order to give you assurance that God still helps. He is still able. Now let me ask you a question. Because we haven't been slaves in Egypt, but have you been delivered by God? How were you delivered? How have we been delivered from what we were in bondage to? We were delivered not by our efforts, not by our good works, not by our family, not by our church, not by being baptized. We were delivered by the blood of Jesus Christ through the death of God's own Son. Let me read you from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but you were redeemed, you were delivered with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Remember how you were delivered. It was God's work. Some say, well, what about me? I had faith. But it wasn't your faith that saved you. It was the power of God that saved you. It was the blood of Christ that saved you. Your faith, you were just latching on to that. It wasn't the faith that saved you. It's, it's God that saves. It's his power. It's his strength. So remember how you were delivered. As you think of the deliverance, though, it's also good to remember from what or from where you have been delivered. Now, for the Israelites, we've already read some verses that reminded them of the slavery in Egypt. Let's look briefly at those again. There's another uh, verse a few chapters later that says the same thing, Deuteronomy 15, verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Deuteronomy 16, verse 12, And you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. Years later, Isaiah wrote and said, Remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I have formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. 
remember this, I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions and like a cloud your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Remember, remember back to that time when you were delivered by God from your sin. Now, if there's someone here this morning and say, well, not really, I mean, I don't know know what you're talking about. This would be a great day to be delivered because every single one of us is born in sin. We're born dead. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul said, we are to remember this. He said in verse 11, beginning in verse 11, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, remember that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. You see, if you've been delivered, that was your condition before you were delivered. You were without hope. You were without Christ. You were a stranger from the promises of God. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In this same chapter, a little bit earlier, this past condition is spelled out in even greater detail. You go back to verse 1 of of Ephesians 2, and it says, And you hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. That was our condition before our deliverance. We were dead in trespasses and in sins. In which, in these sins, you walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. That was our condition before we were delivered. But now, God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised up together and made to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Remember how lost we were when Jesus found us and saved us. Israel was told to remember their deliverance. We are told to remember our deliverance as well. To never forget that. It's so easy to get caught up in the the schedule of life and and not think about those things. But, But Paul tells us, God tells us, remember how you were delivered. The second second thing I'd like for us to consider that God tells us to remember is God's goodness. And while it is most important to remember our deliverance, there are other things God wants us to remember as well. We don't have time to dig deep into these, but I want to, uh, to challenge you to intentionally focus on remembering so that God can direct our hearts to him. Consider the goodness of God. 
Deuteronomy 32.7 says, Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you. Your elders and they will tell you. I appreciate that history. I had thought through some of that history. Pleasant Union has an unusual heritage of strong Bible preaching. When I came here, there was a picture of J. Lee Johnson in the, in the entryway of the church over there. One-armed preacher. And people, the old people that knew him said, he was known as the best Bible teacher in North Carolina. And with good reason. Franklin Pierce, I heard Franklin Pierce preach many times. I tell you what, I've heard a lot of preachers all over this country. There are few people that were faithful expositors of the Word of God like Franklin Pierce. I've already spoken of Tom Jackson, a giant among us, even though he was short of stature. This church has a heritage of godly, powerful preaching. Remember, that is a gift from God. Don't forget that. Don't turn away from that heritage. As God said to Israel, you remember, you talk to those old heads. You listen to them. You hear what God's plan is. You hear what God has done. You be reminded of of the direction that God has set and stay with it if it is right. Remember God's goodness. In 1 Chronicles Chronicles chapter 16, let's see if we can get that. I'm going to skip that one. Let's go to uh, the next verse. Now I've got 1 Chronicles 16, 12 up here. I'm going to actually read another verse while you look at this one. I'm going to read a verse from Psalm 105. Here it is. You see how it's different. Remember his marvelous works that he hath done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. Did you catch the difference? There wasn't any difference, was there? They're identical. God put the same verse in two times. He must want us to really pay attention to this. What does he say? Remember God's marvelous works. Remember what he has done. The wonders and the judgments of his mouth. Israel, you need to remember the great things that God has done. You know what? We need to remember the great things God has done for us as well. Some of you may say, well, that's great when things are going good. But what? you don't know what I'm experiencing in my life. I've got cancer. I just had terrible things happen to me. I can't think of the goodness of God. Listen, those are times maybe more than ever that we need to remember the goodness of God. Remember Job? He had lost almost everything. Everything but his life, his family, his fortune, his health. He's lying there in a pile of ashes and his wife comes to him and says in Job Chapter 2, you might as well just curse God and die. You have every right to complain and to blame God. You don't deserve this. And it was then that Job reminded her of the goodness of God. He said, shall we indeed accept good from God? Shall we not accept adversity? James reminds us that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. 
Every good thing. Every good in life. Some things that look like bad things, God means for good. You don't have time to develop that. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying. We need to remember God's goodness. If we can only touch on some of these others, we're told also to remember God's discipline. A little short verse in the book of Luke says, Remember Lot's wife. <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> She turned into a pillar of salt in judgment from God. You say, well, what does that have to do with us? We read, someone read this this morning from Hebrews chapter 12. You go to that, that section of the book of Hebrews and it talks about God's discipline in our lives. And you shouldn't, you shouldn't uh, be offended. You shouldn't turn away from the judgment of God, from the chastisement, the discipline of God, because whom God loves, he corrects. It's a blessing from God, and I've got some illustrations about that, but I don't have time to tell them right now. Thank God. Remember the discipline. Remember the correction. Remember how God has worked. I'm glad God doesn't just say, oh, forget about him. Look what he's been doing. Look at his mind. Look at what's... He hasn't been walking with me. I'm just going to forget about him. No, God cares about us enough to correct us. Isn't that a blessing? I'm so glad he does. Remember God's discipline. Remember uh, the difference. In Numbers, you read about the dress, the clothing that, that the Israelites had to wear. And they have these little tassels and fringes on their, their clothes. I bet those guys felt really foolish having to go out into town with those things, especially when there's, they're in other cities. And all. <laughs> look at those guys. They look funny. Why did God have them do that? It was to remind them that they're not like those people in the world. They don't, they don't need to sound like, they don't need to look like, they don't need to talk like and, and, and uh, you know, do the things and think like the world around them. They are to be different. Remember that as God's children, we are a peculiar people. Right? We are a holy priesthood. We are not to look like and sound like the world. We're to give them something that shows the glory of God. Remember the difference. Remember, I'll say also next, your fellow believers. Three different categories here, fellow believers. You took up an offering today to help some needy. In Acts chapter 20, verse 35, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Remember to help people when they need help. Don't look down at them. Help them. Remember to help the needy. God's children first, but even those that are not of the household of faith. Remember your fellow believers, the needy. Remember your teachers. You kind of stole my thunder a little bit. You thank the church for for the, the gift for Pastor Appreciation Week. If you hadn't done that, I was going to get after you and tell you you need to do that. <laughs> In 1 Thessalonians 2.9, Paul said, You remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. 
You know, your pastor carries a heavy burden. He answers to God for the care of your souls. Pray for him. Not just in the month of October that's set up as Pastor Appreciation Month. You support him. You encourage him. If God speaks through him and challenges you and changes you and shows you something and you get victory, you tell him. Let him know about it. Remember those who are your teachers. Remember your brothers and sisters in bonds. We just had this pastor from Turkey that was released and came home, but you know, he represents many, many others that are still in prison, being tortured, separated from their families. It's so easy for us to not think about those kind of things. But the Apostle tells us we are to remember them as well. In Hebrews chapter 13, remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. So I kind of hurried through these middle ones. I want to close with this last one. Remember that Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead. In fact, Jesus only left two ordinances for the church to practice. And one of those ordinances is done once in your life. And that's it. And it's important. The other one is to be done over and over and over again. And as often as you do it, you are to do it in remembrance of Him. What are we saying? What are we remembering when we sit together and share together around the Lord's table? We are remembering His death, His broken body, and His shed blood for us. If Israel had all of these reminders, this Passover celebration every year, this Sabbath day every week, the Day of Atonement, all of these other things, the way they dress, the the dietary, all these things to remind them, God gave one thing in particular to remind us about one thing special, and that is the death of Jesus Christ. And yet that's something that is too often Easy to forget. I'm not saying you just forget, oh, I forgot that he died for me. But I mean the way that we live day to day, we don't act like it's there. It doesn't change us. It doesn't grip us. Remember daily. The Apostle Paul, I heard one preacher put it this way. He said that he dies daily. The preacher said he gets up and he looks in the mirror in the morning, you know, and he looks at that guy in the mirror and he says, drop dead. I die daily. I'm crucified with Christ. Because he died for me, then we're all dead. If we remember that Jesus Christ died for me, he died for you, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. Remember the death of Christ. I, there's, one other, there's one other remembering about Jesus. And in 1 Corinthians 11, 
Paul is focusing on the death of Christ. But you cannot forget the resurrection either. And in Timothy, in 2 Timothy 2.8, Paul said, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Not only did he die, he is alive. We will see him face to face. He is, right now, seated at the right hand of God, bodily, actively, making intercession for you if you are a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. He is alive. We will see him. And in that 1 Corinthians passage, we remember him. We are to do this until he comes. He's coming again. That little church in Blackfoot, Idaho, had a little tiny pulpit, I mean, a little short pulpit. The man who built it was about 5'2", I think. His name was, uh, what was his name? I can't think of it right now. <laughs> but anyway, he had built it himself, he and his son. That little, I kind of got used to it. It was kind of nice. Put your pulpit down there, I could see over it real good, and, you know. But there was a little, kind of wrinkled up, gold-plated old card there that had two words. And every time I'd come up to that pulpit, I saw that little card, and it said, perhaps today. If Jesus had not died, there would be no perhaps today. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, there would be no return of Christ. But because he died and because he rose, he is coming again. And we will see him. We will be in his presence. If you take nothing else from this service today, take this. Remember daily and throughout the day that Jesus Christ died for you. That he rose from the dead and lives today for you. Let these truths shape your decisions, your speech, and your actions.